The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. that guessing game. We're going to have to start that back. I'm one for one. I'll take those odds better than some of the recent ones I've had. So thank you, Meg, as always. Well, I invite your attention this morning, and uh, we're actually going to be in a couple spots this morning. Galatians chapter 6 is where we're going to be. Galatians chapter 6 to start. And uh, we are, uh, as we've mentioned in previous months, we're trying to break up our Mark study with a standalone sermon, a different topical sermon each month. And if you've been with us, you know we're tracking along through the book of Mark, and we'll get there. We're still on track to finish by November of 2019. Uh, So if you're keeping count and taking a lottery pick, we're going to end the third weekend of this year. But we felt this topic especially, one that I see Brother Derek in our our church, Brother Derek so well expounded and and exposited last year. Uh, This has come up a lot, uh, this topic, not a... Not a topic that you just want to wade into, but one that many of you have had questions about and one that pastorally and and, and pastorally speaking among the pastors here we feel is is good to give some more clarity to. So first I want to commend you because he did a much better job than I will do today. Brother Derek's sermon from our seventh Mark of a Healthy Church uh, last summer is online. You can check that out at Tower View KC. But also because this topic is one that is so misunderstood, and that is the topic of church discipline. We have gardeners in our midst. I'm not a gardener. I don't claim to be a gardener. But to not do church discipline is like having a garden that has weeds and you want to grow, you know, your corn and your green beans and all those things, but you never take care of the weeds and you hope that your plants grow. Well, what's going to happen to those plants? They're going to be choked out by the weeds, aren't they? And, And before you can get the good crop, you have to pull out some of the things. And I want you to know there's nothing in mind with the sermon other than as your pastors, especially, we believe it's necessary to talk on this topic soberly, to talk on this topic not as those who are above it, but as those who affirm it because the Bible affirms it, and because we someday could be under this, because we are human and we err, and we want to make sure that, as, as you know, that this topic of church discipline is one that is something that is for the good of the church. Parent, just as you discipline your child, so too the Lord uses this in the life of believers to bring us closer to Him. But for some of you, it might bring to mind this topic of church discipline, a study or a a reminder of this great thing, and Adam will put it up on the screen, this letter, the scarlet letter. You know, many of you know the great uh, Nathaniel Hawthorne classic from 1850, or you think of some witch hunt, perhaps, from the Massachusetts witch trials, where hypocritical religious leaders go about shaming and slamming anyone that does something sinful or wrong, no matter how big. Or maybe more recently you've been taken back or confused by a church that's tried to follow what Christ says about church discipline, and we'll get to what that means in a minute, and they blew it up in their faces. They tried to be faithful, but man, it was a mess. But yet, truthfully, in the Lord's kindness, many people who've gone through church discipline are walking through faithfully because God used faithful people of the church to pull them back, call their sin out, and help them to walk lovingly and humbly through the difficult task of confronting them and awaking them back to repentance. I mean, this is not a new topic. In fact, Jesus spoke about it. We'll get there today, Matthew 18. 
Paul spoke about it in 1 Corinthians, Galatians, and 2 Thessalonians, Titus, etc. Even James spoke about it. The author of Hebrews spoke about it. But if we're honest with ourselves, less than 10% of churches, according to a survey I found online, and you know online everything's true, right? So less than 10% of churches who reported actively pursue church discipline as a matter of church health within their ranks. That's scary, guys, because this is literally ripping out pages that Jesus says we need to be following, yet many churches do not. While many see church discipline as unloving, arrogant, or hypocritical, the Apostle Paul and Jesus himself saw it as being loving, humble, and genuine. The aim of church discipline is not to say, look at us, we have a power struggle, a power trip. The aim of church discipline is always repentance, restoration, purity, peace, and joy. Not gloating, not, hey, I gotcha, not vengeance, not anything other than to bring back the glory of God. And yet, the more we know what God requires in the church, the more we see this is a reality we have to be. You could need this someday, sir or ma'am, in your life. Your kids could need this someday, sir or ma'am, in their lives. The truth is, Jesus died and rose again, and that's the good news. And Jesus gathers said sinners together in his church. However, it's important to protect the purity of that message. And the problem is, if a church is meant to proclaim the message of the gospel, and we have people who are running as members in our churches, especially rampant with sin, and we don't address them, then we have muddied the waters just like that. It's like taking a drop of toilet water and putting it in the most pure water from the Rockies coming down from the snow-capped mountains and putting it in there and taking a drink. Would you do it? Probably not. That's gross. Don't try that at home, by the way. Some of you aren't sure about that. But that's what it is. Friends, a biblical church that seeks to glorify God and the gospel will follow through church discipline because it goes back to what Christ. So why church discipline? We're going to get there in just a second, but if you have your Bible this morning, what I want you to do is turn to Galatians chapter 6. But everywhere you see in the Bible, this comes up, guys, everywhere. But we're told in today's society that Christians are not supposed to judge. Come on, pastor, that's the golden rule. Don't judge or you will be judged yourself. Well, Jesus, didn't he say, don't judge lest you be judged? Who are you to point out something wrong in someone's life? Pastor, you're a sinner too. Amen, I am, and we're worse than you will ever know. But one thing is true. We're actually convinced ourselves that it's loving and kind, even compassionate, to say and look at someone in the church who's in sin and say, don't touch him. Let him be. Let him sort it out. That's their problem, not my problem. Guys, that's not what the Bible says. In fact, the Bible says that the most loving thing we can do according to God's word is to talk to them about their sin. Isn't that how people come to Jesus Christ? We have no trouble telling non-Christians about sin. Why would we have trouble telling Christians about sin? Well, the offerings might go down. Well, it might cause a church split. Well, this family might leave. Which is more important? Honoring Christ or honoring and loving people to please them? I mean, if I, in my wife, if I was thinking about this personally, if I in my life was wandering off and, and, and sin that would destroy my family, my marriage, my ministry, the last thing I would want men and women around me to say is to use super spiritual jargon and say, you know, Pastor, that's your business. Hey, as long as you preach a good sermon on Sunday and the bills are paid and everyone's happy in the church, you can go do whatever you want. I would hope we would never get to that point. No, I want someone to love me enough to call me back to Christ and away from my sin towards that which is good for me. And it hit me this morning that I would not be here right now if I didn't have people who did that in my life. You wouldn't either. Think through your life. Think through those times where people came up to you and said, hey, buddy, 
this is the Bible. We love you. We care for you. We want the best for you. But you're not walking in line with Christ. And oh, man, you wanted to sock him a good one right there and then there in their face. But looking back, you wouldn't have traded it for the world, would you? Today, we're going to see that one of the greatest joys and ways we love and care for one another is holding each other accountable in God's grace. We're going to see that as a growing disciple, it involves discipline in our lives. I mean, when I think as a parent, or on the rare occasions when some of my kids does something wrong, it's not loving for me to sit back and say, well, that's your business. Uh, your kid's doing bad things, but that's your business. You handle them. I don't say it's your business. It's loving for me to say it's not good when you do this, when their parents aren't around. This is also the foundation of our relationship with Christ. Hebrews 12, 6 makes it clear that God disciplines those he loves. Be glad doesn't, God doesn't leave you in your sin, Christian, and say, well, that's your problem. Deal with it. <laughs> that's your business, man. I got my own. I got to run this world. Who are you? I don't care about you. Aren't you glad God doesn't do that? So then how do we express God's love to one another by, 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 by doing this? That's because it is our business. And this is the key sentence I want you to see. It's our big idea for the day. And Adam, Andy, one of the Nisley boys back there will put this up. Faithful disciples offer and accept church discipline. Faithful disciples offer and accept church discipline. In other words, loving one another in the church involves sharing responsibility for the holiness in each other's lives. It is not just you and Jesus. It's us and Jesus, isn't it? That is a loaded sentence, but with that said, we're going to unpack it. Being part of a church means helping one another grow in Christ, and often that means calling each other out when it feels uncomfortable, when it goes against the grain, when you might lose a friendship. And yes, even the offering plate might go down. Spare the thought. But for the glory of Christ, we do all those things. If you're able to stand with us, this is a little bit different sermon than I'm used to preaching. It's topical. It's not verse by verse. We're jumping around. If you're visiting with us, this isn't our usual MO. We love to study the Word of God verse by verse, expositionally. But this is a topic, I think, as many of you have asked questions about, that we need to address humbly, boldly, compassionately, but exposi well, expositionally as we do. I'm just going to read two verses, Galatians 6, 1 to 2, and then we'll flip over to Matthew 18 in a few minutes. Hear the Word of the Lord this morning. Brothers, Literally, brothers and sisters, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. But keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Verse 3, for if anyone thinks he is something when he has nothing, he deceives himself. But lest each one test his own work, then his relationship and re, or excuse me, reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each one will have to bear his own load. Guys, I freely admit to you as I was preparing this, I thought of the many situations going on in our churches and families, many of you in this room struggling with things, seeing things in front of you. There's a lot going on. There's a lot of topics to speak on. Why this topic? I pray it's necessary for you because if you ever get off the beaten path, and you will, that this allows us, one to another, myself included, to be under what God's Word says about how to get back on the track with Jesus Christ. You have friends or family. You have other churches who you know don't practice this. This is an encouragement for them to follow what Christ has said to do. It's not popular. It's not going to win you friends and influence people necessarily, but it is going to honor God, and that's what we're about here above all things. Will you join me in prayer as we start this morning? Father, we thank you so much. This is a tough topic, Lord. Not tough because your word 
doesn't say it clearly. It clearly does, and we're going to get through that today, Father, by your grace. But, Father, it's tough because we live in such a cavalier, individualistic, my space, leave me alone type society. Father, forgive us. Father, thank you for independence. Thank you for the ability to do things and work on things as individuals. But, Father, I pray for our body that if a time like this comes, that you help us to honor you in how we do this. Not to get another check mark and, and, and whatever else except to obey you. That's what we want to do. Father, give me grace this morning to speak on such a topic. Who am I? Father, a sinner leading other sinners. But by grace, we are together. We pray these things today in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Thank you so much. Well, I want you to just go back to verse 1 of chapter 6. Again, we're not going to spend too much time in Galatians 6, but I think it's a good reminder. If anyone is caught in a transgression, Paul first off starts off with that phrase brothers, or literally in the Greek, Adelphoi, uh, brothers and sisters. He's talking to everyone, the, the, bre- the brethren and, and the cistern, if you want to use the old uh, southern words. Not cistern like a water, friends. That's S-I-S-T-E-R-N for those keeping score. But he says, brothers, sisters, he speaks to them like they're family. And that's what we are as a church, guys. We are a family. Pity us if we just come together once a week and we don't connect with each other through the week. And I love our church because we do that intentionally, even across miles sometimes. But he says, if anyone is caught in any transgression, any sin, any, anything that's against God, the word is caught, that a brother or sister is continuing in sin, not turning from sin, not repenting of sin, if they're caught. Then he says, you who are spiritual... This is the language that goes back to chapter before this, Galatians 5, where where Paul talks about walking in the Spirit. You know those, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control, faithfulness. Yes, it depends on your translation, doesn't it? So those who are walking by the fruit of the Spirit, who are trying to glorify Christ, should, as it says there, restore Him. That person should seek to restore Him or her. They should work to bring this person back to Christ in a spirit of gentleness, Notice it doesn't say it's a spirit of proving, them, proving that you're right or proving them wrong. Notice it doesn't say a spirit of, uh, of doing it because, because any other reason other than a spirit of gentleness. And that's hard to do, isn't it? As a parent, I know that's hard to do because you know when your kid's out of line sometimes, uh, the, the, the whisper will get them every time. You know what I'm talking about? You can yell at them all day, but when you start talking like this, what'd you say, Mom? What? And they start de-escalating too, in a spirit of gentleness. And so he tells them that you should walk in the spirit and you should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. And you notice in verse 3, he went on to say that they should work to help him turn back to Christ. And that's what it is. Because if anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. And keep watch over yourself lest you too be deceived. So friends, as we talk about church discipline, the act of bringing... The act of bringing someone through a process before the church of exposing their sin, calling them back to Christ, we need to remember that it is done with a spirit of restoration in mind to help them grow in holiness. And this is the trait of the church. We are called to keep the church accountable. We're called to discipline. And a true church is a church where people love one another despite their differences and bring them back gently and lovingly. It was about 10 years ago, and I saved this in my file uh, of sermon illustrations. I actually keep a file for those things. But when you hear the word discipline, I want to encourage you to think on it on two levels. It's a formative discipline and a restoration discipline. We'll get there in a minute. 
But 10 years ago in Florida, there was a church where a lady had, had jumped out of her married bowels into, in, into with another man. And she got a letter from her church saying, look, you haven't turned back. We've tried to talk with you. You don't want to have anything to do with it. And, and you know what she did? She went on Fox News. And she told Fox News, this is terrible. They're telling my sin before the people of the church. Well, lady, you just went before three million people and told your sin to all the people. What, what's the difference? And so, friends, as we come to this, and we talk about church discipline, we're not talking about blasting the sins of people before other people necessarily. But what we are calling people is to live accountable before the church and before the God of which they have exposed themselves. And Adam will put this up on the screen. There are two reasons why we do church discipline. The first is a principle of ownership. Principle of ownership. The church is Christ. It's not the pastors. It's not the congregations. So to bring church discipline, we are bringing about honoring Christ. Formative church discipline means that we continually encourage people to repent and walk with God. This should be an ongoing reality if you think about it. There's a sense in every week we gather together and we're encouraging each other to walk before the Lord. That's what we're calling each other to do. We may have funny illustrations, silly stories, those sorts of things. But really at the essence of why we come together is because Christ has called us to love each other. And sometimes in loving each other, we make each other mad. Amen? Oh boy, we got some work to do. It happens. You're going to rub shoulders the wrong way with someone else in this church. In a sense, we receive this kind of discipline every week. When the Word of God comes to bear and we open the Bible... Whether it's a gathering like this or a small group or something, we are basically doing church discipline one to another. We're saying, this is what the Word of God says. This is where we're at. How do we get back to the middle of where we should be? That's what it's about. And this is disciple-making. This is teaching. This is what Christ commanded us to do. The Great Commission, you know that, right? Go ye therefore into all the world and make converts of all people. No. It says to make disciples of all people, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Before they're a disciple, they must be a convert, but the goal is not just to get them to heaven, the goal is to make them like Christ. And formative church discipline is being formed in a sense when our congregation comes together and realizes this is all about Jesus. It's not about our numbers. It's not about our budget. It's not about our PR, our marketing. It is about growing people closer to Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about. And if we get off that track, we've lost the very first principle of what it means to follow church discipline. Second thing is, we have a principle of stewardship. There's a principle of stewardship. That's a big old word, but we have a responsibility as a church. Not only do we have to honor Christ because the church is His, but especially as pastors, we are to shepherd the church that will glorify God. To not reprove, rebuke, and correct is to dishonor God, to disobey God in this way. And restorative church discipline is corrective care when we are caught in sin away from God. There are times where we have to go to people and say, look, you're out of line. That's the picture here in Galatians 6.1. When a brother or sister is caught in sin in such a way, they're continuing in it and not repenting of it. it it's not just when someone's battling sin, friends. Church discipline doesn't come when someone's just simply battling sin. It's when they put their foot in the ground and say, I'm not moving. I don't think this is a sin and you're wrong. That's when church discipline comes in, and it's a principle of stewardship. It's when someone is walking in direct obedience to God, and you go to say to them, brother, sister, I love you. Turn back to God and repent. This isn't just one of the many things a church should do. This is actually one of the most important things a church must do. But why do less than 10% of SBC churches, Southern Baptist churches, do this? 
Well, let me be honest. I've already mentioned some of them. The pastor doesn't want to lose his job. Can I be honest? Number two, they don't want to cause a church split. Because this person's connected to this person, they're going to rally a group, and if this group gets together, then this group's going to do that. They don't want to, they don't want to stir the hornet's nest, so to speak. Third, they don't want the offering plate to go down. That affects bottom line, that affects job, that affects facilities, that affects lots of things. Do you hear anything in there about honoring Christ? Friends, the old dead guys, those Puritans said three things mark the true church. One, they preached the gospel. Two, they took the Lord's Supper and the baptism. And number three, they act, enacted church discipline when it was necessary. Flip on over to Matthew chapter 18. This is where we'll end the rest of our studies. We close today. Well, close today. We got 20 minutes left. Amen. Come on now, guys. Go to Matthew chapter 18. If you're watching on Facebook, I don't often address the crowd. If you're watching on Facebook, you know we have a very dry sense of humor here, but uh, it's good to have you with us anyway. Matthew chapter 18 this morning. Matthew 18. I want you to remember that this passage is from Jesus himself. This is not from a pastor. This is not from a church council. This is not from a creed or a confession. These are the words of Christ, and those things are not necessarily bad. I just mentioned this is not me and some pastors getting together and talking about, man, how can we really make the church mad at us this week? This is what Jesus himself says. No, we're talking about this because God said this is what we're supposed to do. And this is where he uses the word church, the second time used in Matthew, where he uses the word church. The first time was in Matthew 16, where the gates of hell will not prevail. But starting in Matthew 18, 15, I'm going to read with you these familiar verses. We're going to unpack them, even if it's old, beating the dead horse, because I want to make sure we get this. Hear Jesus' words. If your brother or your sister sins against you, your brother or sister, go, go and tell him his fault, between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take, two or th- take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or more witnesses, two or three witnesses. If he refuses, verse 17, to listen to them, tell it to the church. If he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile or a tax collector. For truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And please know that this next verse is not about a prayer meeting or two people fellowshipping together. It's about church discipline. Again, I say to you, if two or three agree on earth or gather together and ask me about anything, it will be done for them for by my Father in heaven. For two or three are gathered in my name, them I am among them also. These are Jesus' words, very serious as they are. This whole passage is about restoration. Biblical accountability and discipline are not number 100 on a list of 101. Guys, this is at the top of the list. This is what Jesus has told us to do. This means that this is a trait of a church such as, if it's not a trait of a church such as Tower then we're not being the church that Jesus Christ has called us to be. Just like as parents, if you do not discipline your kids, you're not being the, the parents that God has called you to be. And teachers and policemen, can you imagine a policeman? who catches a murderer in the act, just looking at that person and said, man, well, that's your business. I got to go eat a donut or something, you know? I mean, you would look at that person and say, you're, you're crazy. You've been called to protect the law, protect the innocent. Or can you imagine? We're entering football. It's 100 days to college football season. That excites some of you, and that really bores some of the rest of you. Can you imagine a college football coach? Let's just pick Alabama, for instance. You know, Nick Saban gets up there, one of the greatest coaches, good or bad, in the history of, of, of sports, and he has these guys that don't show up, and they want to play the first game. 
and they say, well, coach, I signed a scholarship. I was the best recruit in high school. You've got to put me in the game, coach. Come on, man. He's going to look at them square in the face, and what's he going to tell them? Where were you at two-a-days? Where were you at spring practice, at summer practice? You're not playing. Dude, you're off the team. Your, your scholarship is revoked. And we would stand and applaud him, wouldn't we? But when a church gets up and says, Sir or ma'am, you're walking in sin. You are not following what Jesus says. They look at the pastor. They look at the elders. They look at the deacons and say, How dare you tell them how to live their life? Who are you and who do you think you are? Do we have more trust in a football coach than we have about our Lord Jesus Christ? May it never be so. We all need the continual encouragement that goes on. And I need it by God's grace. I have people in my life who know my sins, the sins I'm prone to struggle with. I have people in my life who are a regular source of accountability. And I want to encourage every single follower of here to do that. But as your pastor, I don't want you to be there. So now we realize this is important. This is so important. Step one, private confrontation. Matthew 18, if your brother sins against you, so go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If your brother sins against you. Some Bibles have a small note at the bottom of the page that say it doesn't include against you. But this is one of the few places where there's a bit of discrepancy, a variant if you will. But I want you to know it's against you individually. If they've sinned against you. And some will say, well, we don't really know much what the Bible says, so I guess we can't take the word of God. Guys, this is the word of God. If someone has sinned against you, this is the word for you. And in Matthew 7, Jesus warns us about going to a brother or sister and saying, hey, you have a sin in your life when we have a Pinocchio nose of sin in our life before we call them out. So we've got to be careful here. We must examine our motives, our hearts before going. Galatians reminded us, but before we go confront a brother or sister, we should have a balance in our own lives. And we must go to them humbly, biblically, gently, if there's actually a biblical sin in someone's life. It's not just when someone's doing something you don't like. Clearly hear that. You don't go to someone and say, hey, brother, you like the hymns, and I like the modern rock worship music. Therefore, you must be in sin. Or you sing the Psalms out of the Psalter, and we sing out of the 1991 Baptist hymnal. We know which is better, brother. Those Psalms have got to go away. You're in sin. That's called preference. That's not called sin. When a brother or sister has sinned against you, that's a big thing. But notice, Lee, you're to go quietly. You're not to go and say, hey, 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 brother, I just went up to Joe and told him I really don't like his singing. It's really bad, and it hurts my ears. He's in sin. That's not a joyful noise. Notice he says to go quietly. We're to talk not to everyone. We're to go to that person in private out of love. I'm concerned about you. But again, we need to be in a relationship with them, and that's what's happening over time. And notice, too, it's not everything that goes before them. Guys, most things in the church can be dealt with one-to-one -one before it gets to this area. It should be. Most of the things that go on in a church can be dealt with with each other going to each other by knowing each other. I mean, I think about my marriage. Natalie and I see each other at our best and our worst, and we want to help each other grow in Christ. I think about other men in my life who see me at my best and my worst, and I want to see help me grow in Christ as they help me and vice versa, and I want to do the same thing. But when a brother or a sister has sinned against you or is caught and is not turning from their sin, then love him or her not enough to sit back and let them wander deeper. Go to them. But here's a caution also. Why do you go to them privately? Because you may be misreading a situation that's going on in their life. 
you may go to them privately, and they may be so far off base, or you may be so far off base, that you're the one that need to be corrected because you don't have all the information. Let me just put this out there. Church, there are things that happen in this church that as pastors we cannot tell you all the details to. Why? Well, aren't you supposed to share everything at the business meeting? Isn't that what it's all about? Did you see what Jesus just said? He said go to one-to-one. He didn't say blast it before the church. He said go to them two to three. And we pray they'll say thank you for helping me in that way. This is why we go. The last thing we want to do is talk with others about someone's, someone without first going to that person. Hey, I need you to pray about something. Have you heard about Darren? I think he's really an alien in, in human skin. We need to really call him out for that. Be careful. Secondly, I want to. Uh, if you could put a percentage on this, this would be about ninety-five percent ends in step one. It stops right there when you go to them one to one. But what if they don't listen? Number two, they, there's a small group clarification. There are some situations when you go to a person, they don't listen, they don't receive it, they don't want it. If that's the case, Jesus says to take them to small group discipline. Look back at verse sixteen. He says this very clearly. He's quoting from the Old Testament. Jesus says. If, if he refuses, he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established. Now, the picture is to involve another believer, maybe two. Again, the circle stays small, doesn't it? Stays very small. The point here is to broaden the circle just slightly so these brothers or sisters can get a better idea about what's happening. Notice it doesn't say you have to involve the pastor or the deacon. Guys, this can be done, if necessary, amongst ourselves. But the goal is not to gang up on that person. We're not trying to build a case against that person. The goal is to find one or two people who ideally know this brother or sister well, who are gentle, humble, and loving, and who will go and hear this out. And they will, they'll tell you the truth. Brother, brother Darren, this is not a sin. You, you don't need to be addressing this person's life. Or they will say, yeah, this is a sin, and they're still not repenting. We need to consider what that means. We're concerned about you. We want to call you back to Christ. But again, this doesn't necessarily mean that we have to take them before a pastor. So, guys, let me, let me say this quickly. As your pastor, I love you guys so much. We love you all so much. Did you hear that? We love you so much. But there are some things that are best dealt with by you all before it comes to us. Well, isn't that what we pay you guys for? Well, maybe, but that's not the point. The point is, is what Jesus says is that it doesn't require a theological degree, a pastor, a rev by your name. It just simply requires loving, humble faithfulness to go and be a judge objectively about what's going on. Do you see that? Our job is not to make you dependent on us. Our job is to point you back to Jesus Christ. There is a difference. And this is what he says. So let me just encourage you, as I'd say, when a small group of brothers or sisters comes to you in love and says, we see the sin in your life, you need to listen to that, and you need to listen to it prayerfully because you may not see things they see, but equally likewise, the person who brought the others may not see as you see, and you may be right. So what happens if all this doesn't go through? So they ignore the first, they ignore the second. Number three, there's, it goes before the church. Step number three, and Adam will put that up. Step number three, verse 17, and I just want, if you want to put a percentage on this, 99% of cases end in step two. They're done. But for that 1%, that persistent sin, the person who will not repent, Jesus has these words. If he refuses to listen to them, the two or three and the original, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to even to listen to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. 
Jesus says these things. This is where the circle expands. This is where I'm still learning how this has to be done at Tower View, and I want to look with our pastors and in the days to come, but certainly a first step would be at this point, if you've tried to go two or three, this would be a step, appropriate step, to go to your leadership and say, hey, this is what we've seen, this is what's happening, this is where we're at, what do we do now? That's where it comes in. And this is where people will be like, well, uh, uh, well, pastor, take it before the church? Really? I thought you said to keep things quiet. Guys, there comes a time when if someone is unrepentant in their sin and they are a member of the church, they are responsible to the church and the leadership and the congregation that God has called to the church. This is tough. Because again, someone will say, tell it to the church. Doesn't that seem like a bit much? Are you serious? Should we really do that? Here's the deal. We don't really have an option here. This is Jesus talking. Jesus says, do this. We do this. Jesus says, jump through a hoop. You jump through a hoop. Jesus says, go to the world. You go to the world. We don't want to pick and choose the words that seem comfortable to us. We're followers of Christ. If we don't follow what he says, then we are walking in disobedience to God. Jesus told us to do this. And as a pastor, there are times where we've had to ask that question, do we really want to do this? Do we understand the ramifications of what we're about to do? Because you know what keeps us up at night? What keeps us up at night is how we stand before the Lord someday and give account for each one of your souls who are members of this church. Tell me about, God says, tell me about, boom. Tell me about, boom. Tell me about, boom. And so we fear God that we are shepherding you in the right way. And so when it gets to this stage, brothers and sisters, hear this. God loves you so much that if you're unrepentant and you're running away from him, he'll send his entire body, his entire bride to you in a demonstration of love to call you back. What love that is. And did you notice, if you go back, to, go back just a few verses up, the context of this, Matthew 18, uh, 12, what do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and w- one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the 99 in search of the one? If that's the, the reaction of our Father to chase after the one wandering sheep, how much more should the church try to do this? Church, we tried to do this in the last four years with over 389 people who are no longer on our rolls who used to be members of our church. Some of them, and I've shared this before, some of them on Facebook uh, gave, gave me especially, and I, I'm not asking for pity, I'm not asking for, oh, what was the pastor, just hear, just hear the story. Uh, well, all sorts of obscene words and gestures were shared over Facebook Messenger towards us when we reached out to see if they were still interested in being members of Tower View Baptist Church. But yet they carry the name of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, we've got to see God's love a part of this. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, num- step number four, and it's very clear, there is church excommunication. Jesus says that even when the whole church is calling the person back, but he refuses to listen, the next is, verse 18 here, he tells them, verses 18 to 20, he says to treat him like a Gentile or a tax collector. Basically, the imagery here is that to treat he or she is to exclude them from the church. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Pastor, you're saying there are times that you will literally not allow someone to come into the church? Well, we're to treat them no longer like a brother or sister. We are to treat them as one who we don't know whether they're saved or not, to be honest with you. 
The Bible really doesn't know anything of a Christian who's not part of a member or local church. To be excluded from the church is to seen as not as a part nor a member of the body of Christ. Let me be clear. You can be a member of a church and not be saved, but this is a command of Christ. But let's be honest. This is tough. This is really tough. This means you can't go out, oh, man, you got kicked out of church, but do you want to go to Chili's on Friday night and see the new in-game movie? Your association with them has to stop except at the line of calling them back to Jesus Christ. Lovingly, patiently, humbly. The goal is not to destroy. The goal is to bring them back. This is a command of Jesus. Did you notice what verse 19 said? I love this. This is not easy. Jesus tells us in verse 18, he tells us very clearly, he says, and, and we're about done here. He said, truly I say to you, whatever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Look, this is not talking some... Uh, you know, Pope-filled loosing and binding of rewards that has been taught for 2,000 false teaching years. This is talking about, look, if church, if you're following this faithfully, I got your back. Whatever you do for me, no matter what men may do to you, I've got you. If you follow through church discipline and you do all these steps faithfully, whatever you bind on earth in that vein will be reward for you in heaven. And whatever you loose, will be loosed for you in heaven. Church, we want to be rewarded on the last day as a body of Christ, as Tower View Baptist Church, then we be faithful to follow the words of Jesus that just preceded. And he goes on again, and he says, I'm ready for you, and I love verse 20, and I've used this verse out of context for years, and we quote it all the time, this is not a prayer meeting. I love prayer meetings, right? They're good things. A lot of you cut your teeth on prayer meetings, but verse 20, where two or three are gathered in my name, is not referring to a prayer meeting. It's not referring to a local meetup uh, when you're camping outside on a Sunday and, and you're not in the local body. We've all done it. We've all said it. But what he's saying is, guys, look, if you're going to do this thing called church discipline, guess what? There I am among you. And that's good. Because as a church, when you start doing this, people are going to look at you and be like, whoa, that's a church that kicked people out of their church. Whoa, they're nasty over there at... at Last road Baptist church on the road that ends to nowhere. They're nasty. Friends, let me tell you, the world's never going to get understand this. They're never going to understand this. Two years ago, there was a church out in Kentucky. I'm actually friends with the pastor on Facebook only because of this story. I don't know him, but we're friends on Facebook. You figure that out. But out in uh, the cave, the Mammoth Cave area of Kentucky, another church, they sent out letters to people saying, look, if you want to be part of this church, then you need to come to this meeting and talk with us and how are you doing spiritually. And one of those people took, a, took their smartphone out and went, took a photo of it. And guess what news station they sent it to again? Fox News. And then it hit CNN and MSNBC. And, and the whole thing two summers ago was how unloving that church was. For a guy who had not been in the church for 37 years, but his name was on the roll, they'd called, they'd knocked, they emailed, they did everything humanly possible to track him down. But the moment they said that you can't be a member of that church because you are not fulfilling what it is to be a member of that church, he started going viral. But Jesus reminds us, even in those moments, as this pastor has shared with me briefly on Facebook, Christ was with them. And he honored Christ. Church, this is a tough topic. And I don't think it's one we just wade into. It's not one we just jump into. My point of sharing all this with you is this, is that if there comes a time as a church that we need to enact this, we follow this as biblically as we can, as lovingly as we can, as patiently as we can. And guess what? Christ did that with you, did he not? 
he went to you, one to one. He went to you, two to three. The whole trinity came after you. He went to you and brought you before your sin, and you had a choice to make, in a sense, and you could choose Christ's way or the highway, and he brought you before, and, and, and if you're a Christian, you repented and believed by his grace. He's already done that to you. So why would we not do that to our brothers and sisters if necessary? And let me be very clear. As a pastor, I am not above this. Nelson is not above this. Anyone is not above this. This could be us. There are some churches who refuse to take their pastor to church discipline because they're afraid of the fallout. I mentioned that like five times. Guys, that is a, that is a cult of personality. That is not a person following Jesus Christ. I'm going to leave someday. I will die. I might die in the treadmill or out on the road someday running, trying to get better at this running thing. Who knows? And you know what? You'll have another guy step in here who's probably much more agarious and much more different than I am, and God will bless him just as much as God has prayer, through your prayers has blessed me, but the faithful task is what we have before us. Adam, if you want to hit the next slide just really quickly, I want to just say quickly, and we don't have time to go over this, why do we do this, and this takes less than a minute, we do it for three reasons. Adam, if you just want to put them all up there, that's fine, people taking notes. We do this, and you can read all about this, we have a handout uh, as you leave today, I'm just out of time, but we do this. We, we enact church discipline first for the, for the purity of the church. Not that the church is, is, a, is a hotel for super saints or people who are perfect. We do this because Christ has called us to live among each other and encourage each other to holiness. Second reason we do this is for the salvation of people. There are some people who've gotten in to be a member who over the years have never been spiritually checked. We just assume they're a Christian. You know, our Sunday school class talked about this. You know, Judas, wasn't Judas the classic example of this? That he was the, the leader of the money bag, and when he went, when, when Martha went to go anoint Jesus before his burial, he said, how dare you give 300 denarii, years wages to this? This could have gone to the poor. And then John tells you in John chapter 12, he didn't care a lick about the poor or a lick about Jesus. He just wanted the money in his pocket. So he goes and sells Jesus out for 30 silver coins. There are some people, and I'm not pointing at fingers at anyone right now in this church. I'm speaking generally. There are some times we go through the church discipline process to really show whether a person knows Jesus Christ or not. That's what it's meant to do, among other things. And finally, we do it to glorify God. Not with a heavy hand, not with a power trip, humbly as one sinner to another, leading another sinner to bread. Brother, sister, we love you. We see the sin. The Bible says it's a sin. You continue in the sin. We want to call you back to Jesus, and you're always welcome here. But repent and turn to Christ. Would you pray for our church that our body of Christ loves one another so much that we don't even get to step one or step two. It just stops before all that. But would you also pray that if we have to go all the way to the top, that we do so humbly, graciously, lovingly, and boldly. Would you pray with me as we close this morning?